Welcome to the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. I'm Rebecca Plum, your big sister. And I'm Sean Serha, your GBF. We're not that hot or that young. But we believe it's a state of mind that helps us build adaptable and profitable businesses. We rely on the support of our design besties to get through each day. So let's explore the emotional, practical, and humorous sides of being interior designers. Welcome to the club. Hey, Sean. What's up, Rebecca? We're spilling some tea today. Sip, sip, everybody. I'm kind of excited about this one, honestly, because it's like the first time we really are almost like talking to the hotties. Like <laughs> in in episodes. Yeah. Yeah, because we did a few questions in early episodes where hotties were writing in some a few questions or DMing us, but we, it was like one-off types of questions at the end of an episode. And today we're we're splitting it up too. Okay, yeah. So we're gonna be like kind of annoying. <laughs> There's some of these questions from hotties that we're not we're um, we're not gonna answer them on the public episode. We're gonna move some of these topics because they're a little more sensitive to our businesses behind the scenes. You can get to them on the loyal hottie tier as a loyal hottie Patreon member. So we would love, love, love everyone to join us over on the Patreon. It's only $10 and we're kind of weaving in some stuff about that in this episode too. Just kind of what you can also get besides just those extra. It's not just these extra extras are unedited and unfiltered stuff, but it's also other workshops um, and other benefits that apply to the loyal hottie tier. So if you want to know more, patreon.com slash HYDC, or you can go to our website, hotyoungdesignersclub.com. And I think we're ready to like jam into some questions. Jam it on the one. Let's jam it on the one. <laughs> Is that a local reference? Only old people know that. No, it's like the Cosby episode with Stevie Wonder. <laughs> what? Was that the song? The song was called Jam It on the One? Yeah, that's what Theo said. Like, so they eat. Do you remember this episode? Have you ever seen it? It's like a classic. This sounds familiar. Even though it's problematic, Cosby and all, but. Well, because Cosby. Is this right. the one where he sings, like, I just called to say that yeah, I, like, on the episode? Yeah, and then the they did, like, this oh. remix where each kid, like, did a line, and Theo's was jamming on the one. <laughs> so, oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know why I know that. We're so hot and young. <laughs> 1985 <laughs> flashback here. Jamming on the one. Okay. I would have been watching that in syndication just as a... <laughs> I'm sorry. A, that was deep cut. Okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> you do the do the first question. I think, I think first, that's a good one. Okay. So these questions just we gathered from our Patreon members as well as we did a little shout out on Instagram, a couple. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you, everyone who responded. So... The first one. Okay. I'm reviewing my proposal process for the new year. So this was a few months ago in hopes of creating a tighter process and establishing more authority over the design. So I've found myself offering too many options to clients and attempt to appease them, but it creates too much work, confusion, and undermines me creative value. So she goes on a little bit about our background. So she needs a mindset shift and a process to support it. So very timely because our episode with Shannon Lee that came out on March 31st 
is exactly which just inside baseball is today, but not for you. So Shannon's episode, that's exactly what she talks about in that episode and the work she does with Blair Ends. Yeah, episode 87, if you're already not listening, go back to it. And I honestly do really recommend, I'm like showing Rebecca the book. I really do recommend the Win Without Pitching manifest. It's tiny. It's like a small, you can take it on an airplane. Is it like a linen cover? Yeah, it's a nice like black linen cover. It's 137, 140 pages. It's a quick read. It's, I mean, you figured if this was a full-size book, you know, you'd get a lot more. But it really does talk about the mindset shift of like how to position your services because you have to believe in what we're selling. And to this hottie's question, I think there's a little bit of your, it, to me, I read it as a, you're doing too much. Give Your job is to give a recommendation. And it reminds me of my banking career where it was like, there are a million different financial solutions you could give someone, but we have to do the job as the expert to narrow down and say to our clients, I recommend this, like, think about it like the, like a, like a really, like at a bougie restaurant and you have a fancy server and Mm -hmm. you tell them, I'd really like something with these sort of flavors. You're going to let them recommend the meal. And honestly, that's a good example because the higher end the restaurant, the more I just want to give my choice over to them because I know they are the expert already. So I do that a lot. Tell me you're special. You recommend it. Tell me what it. the Tell best me. thing is. Like, give me the like luxury service. Like, I don't want, I'm too busy to think. Like, <laughs> I can't. Tell me what will make me happy. I can't figure it out. I don't out. have any food allergies. And that's our clients. They want, okay, I know you could do a whole bunch of stuff, which I think is valuable. They'll learn that from your investment guide. They'll learn that from your services page on your website. But then when you're actually creating a proposal for them, you're saying, I'm proposing this because of your need, your desire, your want, or your goal for X, Y, or Z. Like you're, that's your job to say, tell them what they Unfortunately, like you, you are describing a full service project. This is what a full service project would look like. I, remember I have other services. And if you think this doesn't fit with what you have in mind, I will create another proposal for you. But I feel like that's a good point. That's what I do. I, a lot of times I create the p- proposal that I want to do, even if I'm like, oh, shit, I kind of need a job right now, but I won't, st- I still <laughs> won't show them like designer on call. Like that's like on the secret menu. It's like the yeah. last thing I pull out of my bag of tricks. So like right. even today I emailed a client that. that I haven't heard from in a while. I'm like, if you need another solution, like, let me know. I can get creative. So yeah, don't show yeah. it to them all up front. Let them tell you if yeah. they need you to change your deliverables but don't exactly. ever cut price. i think uh, don't ever cut price cut no. deliverables cut cut deliverables cut the extension of your services for that don't Discount. cut the design the design costs this much sorry like if you want me to d- take off a room great take off let's take off a room then if you will still do the project if it has one less room or if it take has a service level like just do this if all. you want me to take off project management right maybe we'll talk like i think that's where it's really clear for clients of you know, if you're, to me, I read this and it's like, there's a lot of services we're offering. Our job is narrow it down for the client. I think what you're describing sounds more like this. Here's what it would include. Here's what it doesn't include. What do you think? I mean, have that conversation almost before you're writing the proposal a little bit at your consults. So that way they know where they're heading. And if they go, I don't know, I'm not really, 
that doesn't really align with our project timeline, then you can fall back to another offering and get their permission again before you write the proposal. Yeah. That's a big one. Should we do it? We should do one of these ones from Instagram. <laughs> this is the, this is a drama one. I know. This how do you feel about ones directly how do you for feel you? Havenly buying interior define. I have a lot of thoughts on that, which if you're looking for more, you can go to my Instagram highlights where I saved some about interior define. I, I, so I think that right now is a really going to be a very hard time for a lot of direct to consumer brands and companies who are trying to move a lot of merchandise and acquire market share. I think it's a really competitive environment. I think companies, I don't know a lot about Havenly's financial situation, but what do I know is that I don't, um, I, I feel like now is a rough time to take on a company like that. And they've obviously invested a lot of money in that deal and they're, they're going to want to make it profitable. Don't you think like they probably have to get to a road to profitability, like really fast. Yeah. But they already have the clientele that they can just like push right into it. I don't know. It's, I still think it's, it has an audience. Like, I don't know about the financial side of it, but it's like every designer, it's the same audience basically, right? Yeah, they're selling to the same people. The challenge I have with it and why I've never spec'd it is they did have some beautiful designs. That's totally understand. I have problems with, they have beautiful designs. It's still essentially temporary cheap landfill quality yeah. furniture. It's cheap, cheap furniture. It's made overseas. It's not supporting US manufacturers. And sometimes I get it. You got to fit in that price point. Which is who their audience is. They're paying $100. Yeah. And we don't get a big, there is no, there's like a minimal trade discount on that. So you're not really making a lot. And to be honest, I think that there are other trade vendors who make beautiful sofas for comparable price of various levels who would give you better profitability. Like there's plenty of wholesalers. Yeah. We go to market and we see sofas that are still made overseas that are of comparable quality to interior define. And they give you a wholesale pricing or they give you, you know, a, a much deeper 30% margin for yourself. Like, I'd rather have that. If a consumer wants to buy it as a designer, I would just let them buy it. Don't even, I, I don't want to chase those anymore. Yeah, but that's what you I'm saying. You want to buy retail, you buy retail. It is the same audience. Like, how much is a Havenly design? $500? So they're already, idea. like, <laughs> not going for, like, quality. And now it's yeah. probably all AI. I don't know. They're headed. They could be. I think if anything, they must see a path to I, where they get to buy all that intellectual property. They own yeah. the designs for the sofas. Those are valuable just as corporate property. Like that, those could be sold to another and the manufacturing one operations day. and stuff. I honestly, I think in a way, it could be good for us because it's taking that level of furniture out of professional interior designers. Mm-hmm. Like it's categorizing it in line with this is somebody who wants a quickie $500 design. Yeah. So you get a quickie couch to go with it. And we're calling it a couch. It's a couch, not a sofa. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, There's a downgrade. Comes with (laughs) curtains. (laughs) Yeah. I think that that's where I'm at. I don't really, I wouldn't trust it because I still have a lot of fear about a company who they, they're going to have to stick around for a while and really show some stability before I would to guide anybody who does my consults or anything towards 
towards Havenly slash Interior Define. But that's I just don't anyone trust that it. manufactures overseas still. I think it's all still super problematic. Well, and I think the companies trying to make profit and try like oh they're going to be what pushing was, if, profit first. They've got it. Yeah, they're well, trying to make obviously. money, and and if something happens to that, let's just say some Interior Define just proves to be a really bad business model. Still, it just doesn't even work with Havenly running the ship. Then it goes down to like, I'm yeah, sorry. That's I, a risk. They got to show some stability for me before I would feel like that. I'd rather go to our trade vendors who have longer histories. Yeah. Let's be clear. Don't, don't buy anything that has a 10 or 15% trade, trade discount. That's. Let your client, let do, your client, let your client buy, buy it themselves and, like, and they pay full price. Then you have it's no headache. It. You don't have to handle any back end problems, which are 99% Numerous. assured. <laughs> yes. Okay, so next cue. This one is from a contractor, somebody in my neck of the woods. Mm-hmm. We're not naming names. But their question is, what should a GC do if a project that's already designed and it's double their budget, the client's budget? So probably the client's budget. So if a GC gets a project that's already designed but it's double the client's actual budget. Like they're quoting it out and it's twice what the client wanted to spend. Yeah. I mean, this is part of this is like that old adage of like, it's twice as much as what you think. Number one, number two, isn't some of this going to be like, aren't we all saying this recently too, that like every project is twice what we thought it would like, well, what Lately, should the GC every do? Is way more than I thought. What should the GC do, I, and then what should designers be doing to avoid this? Because it's this is kind of happening mm. to me right now. But I didn't wait until it was fully designed before I got the clients. You get them. like a rough, yeah, yeah. You get like a rough. Now I would, yeah, if they're already in and it's com- it's a completed design. <sighs> man, that just, I'm getting anxious just thinking about it. Because well, I'll say what I, I did. Think so there's this a is, limit. I'm this just happened to me. So. It's a kitchen and a bathroom. The client's budget was always like a little problematic. Like I knew, I told oh. them, I'm like, all right, this is really tight. Um, but <laughs> let's design it anyway, if that's what you want to yeah. do. And one of the options is we can phase it. So we'll do the kitchen now, the bathroom later, which is ultimately what mm-hmm. they decided to do. So we designed everything, got a GC in to do some rough estimates Yes, it's basically double what they wanted to pay. And um, so, yeah, we're just going to phase it. We'll do the kitchen now. And they, because they still want the full design. Like they want, this is their forever. They don't want to cheap out on the finish. Yeah. Like they want everything to be the way the vision is. So the next, the bathroom may be next year. Yeah. I feel like it's hard because if you're like a whole home builder, I would be cutting stuff like flooring. I would, I would be cutting down on, is there a lower level of flooring that we could offer? Or I would consider, are there specialty trim details or ceiling details that we could just do drywall and later we could add tongue and groove ceilings. Later we could build out the cabinetry. Like, let's just say they were like, oh yeah, we want this fully amazing walk-in closet. I know it seems weird to Frankenstein a design like this, but I would rather just go with like a container store Ikea master closet and then later get my cabinetry and my built-ins put in there for my super supreme master closet. Cause that could be 30, that could be 20 grand just in extra built-ins and custom made closet components. Like 
So I think we have to just yeah, triage. Yeah, so like you like, kind of like future-proof the design. Like you phase it. You can pe- add cabinets later. Like you can't change the flooring later. So like if, like maybe that let's isn't the that. thing you achieve. Let's be done. Home. Yeah, let's be done with that. Some of these rooms might just be drywall boxes. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Like, I know you're not going to like that, but, and, and I know that contractors don't like that either. I get it. But like, for me, I'd rather have as many complete rooms as possible. Yeah. And that's usually going to be, At the let's level, focus the in first on like, level. yeah, like floors, windows, doors, cabinets, um, wet spaces, like bathrooms and kitchens. We, okay. Let's p- pare back that. And then put it in front of the client. If we pair back all just to the essential spaces, you know, you, you're not going to get everything you want out of the others. Do you want more money? Or, do you want to put in more money or not? Like, But this is also where the contractor and the designer hopefully have a good relationship because this is like, as the designer, we're like, oh, shit, we're going to, there goes furniture. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. So, and that's hard because a family's going to move in and not be able to put any window treatments for privacy. Like, that's right. some bullshit. Like, so we have I know to that like, for, save some budget for those finished items. So again, back to your finished room idea. Yeah. I would, I mean, my focus when I do this is always what can we do in the kitchens and bathrooms? Because those, like, once the tile's in, the tile's in. We're not going to come back later. Plumbing valves, we're not changing those later. Let's get the right plumbing fixtures. But I do see clients sort of start to go crazy when they're adding on like a bunch of landscaping. And I'm like, okay, sorry. Like, I know you want your fancy backyard, but like, you don't have that. Like, that's the whole, that's like a whole other contractor could, yeah, you could be spending that. So, and I know that for a contractor, I think probably if I'm thinking as a contractor, the hard part is what makes this a profitable job for me a lot of times is those really large scale, like hardscape, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of like, big investment work which is hard because like i know for a lot of contractors they're making like 10 percent at least off of their cabinetry so i'm sorry maybe we're having to cut some of the cabinetry budget like i i think the hard part for me that i have is that some contractors are focused on their profitability and not on the fact that also designers may be losing profitability too when a project scales down so we both have to come to the table uh and agree like do we want this project still, even if we both reduce our profitability? And I think that a lot of contractors have been in a position of power for especially the last couple of years where they get to sort of say, well, if it's not over, if it's not over 400 grand, I don't want to do this project. And it's like, well, then you decide if you don't want to do it. You still decide that. Yeah. But I don't think we should say it's at the sacrifice to the quality of what's left behind and I don't and know. our ability to make a profit because <laughs> we don't make shit off of any of the construction details unless you have a I mean, yeah, cabinet ten, line. What, yeah, like even if you just said like a, a contractor did, you know, um, like a half a million dollar job and that, let's just say that their clean profit is 50, 10% is 50 grand. Like most designers would be lucky to do a whole house something for, and get 50 grand like that would on top of their design fees. Yeah, like yeah. that's but that feels like a lot to me. And most contractors, contractors are tw- some of, of them are like t- most of them are like twenty percent when it's overhead and profit. Yeah, like if I see a lot of bids where it's twenty percent is their clean number for overhead and profit. So then you're saying a hundred grand on a five hundred thousand dollar job? Like, I'm not walking away well, with that. I think better. there is some of this. Yeah, I think there's some. Let's come together on this. And I also think that I would ask clients. It it comes back to the you have to cut something. 
or you have to cut quality. Yeah, because like, also, I know you want a natural stone outside, but now it's going to be pavers, brick pavers, you know, or just like, wait. Yeah. And I think that's like we're like having a really good relationship with a contractor that gets it too, because like this contractor, contractor specifically, I know they like to have finished photography. Like they're very savvy and um, yeah, they want to do like the whole the whole kit and caboodle. Yeah, they're not. Yeah, they're they actually want it to look like a finished product, which they need the design furnishings and window treatments, all of those soft treatments to happen. So mm-hmm. got to work together. Yeah. And I don't have a clean answer on that there. one, unfortunately. <laughs> it's hard out there. Yes. But get your contractor um, in early. Like get like, especially now, like it's, I don't even want to try to quote stuff anymore. I, I start shopping. This is the other part where it helps to bring in contractors when you're sort of at the concept yeah. general floor plan is kind of erupted. The idea of all the finishes is kind of there. And then you can run it by a few contractors and just say, I don't need a formalized itemized quote yet. But looking at what we're talking about, where where am I between? And get just get something. Get, hey, you're you're gonna be between X and Y. This that kitchen looks like it's 125 to 200,000 yes. without appliances. Oh, and at least get their number. Something else that I've had a couple contractors do lately is they're charging for detailed bids, which I completely understand why mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. clients don't love that. But the one yeah. that we're doing right now, he is going to value engineer it if it need, where it needs to. So he'll spend more time working with us to like find the places. Here's where we can cut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause you want to get those can- numbers up and we'll have like a way more realistic budget that way instead of just change orders down the road. Cause no one. That's what normally happens. No one wants the, the actual result of what we bid on. Yeah, know? I'm with that. I would. Lo- I would honestly, if it was a really, g- especially if it's a big project, if the fee to create the itemized bid is proportionate to the scale of a project, that to me feels very fair because they're going to invest a lot of time and energy. Into and it that. goes into, and it will get applied to the final contract if they go with them. I would do that if I it know. got their attention. I talked them into it. They're doing it. I would pay to get attention from good contractors if that's what it takes to get them to want to do it done. Like, yeah. Cause they're going to bring subs out, like actually get things like really dialed before yeah, anything happens. I'm with it. All right. Next one. Trying to figure out the best way to receive payments, credit cards, checks, Venmo, other number one, not Venmo. Venmo is not. No. Venmo is not business compliant. It's like every CPA and accountant and bookkeeper I've ever talked to or worked with has said, please, please do not, because it just doesn't, it reads as personal. And it you can reads, set it up as a business account now, but it's still, right. I have a really hard, I only do it for like, you paid me back for Las Vegas dinner or something, but it's really hard to get records. Cause like sometimes when I have done it like that, yep. like I have to go back and freaking search and they do not have good no it's really it's not great if you are ever going to be audited or anything it's just not a great platform so that's why i'm like you venmo um you could do zelle i've had a few clients set up with business payments through zelle great that's an ach automate it's an ach is a banking term but it's just an audit it's a a direct deposit basically like that's great yeah it's like a wire transfer Right. But really large on, transactions. 
Zelle, like some, a lot of clients' banks have limits on what they can use. So like sometimes they have a $2,500 limit or whatever. So that doesn't always work, but. Right, exactly. Yeah, I could see that. But it's instant, so that's awesome. And no fees. Yeah, you get those payments. That would be quick. You can do wire transfers for big ones, which I've done. I know wire sounds so crazy because most people are like, oh my God, what do I do? And it's like 30 to $45 of a flat fee. And if clients are paying for tens of thousands of dollars of furniture, a check is okay, but most people get freaked out. If they would like to do it, they can go to the bank. They can, you can give them your account details. They can wire the the money directly to you. And then there's no clearing. There's, cause that's the problem with checks is you're probably going to have to wait depending on your volume. Yeah. You could have them on hold for weeks if you don't have that normally happen. So I, checks are fine if they want to avoid fees. Most of my clients just pay through either it was Ivy. I have people who are still transitioning from Ivy or Studio and they're using like Stripe through Studio. And I'm using like all the things. I'm using Stripe. I've had PayPal business, which PayPal's records are a lot more thorough and easy to work with than Venmo's. So PayPal business, because I get like electronic payments from my consults. I have a PayPal option to the put other, those. I think the answer is all of them. I know. Like, There's re- I use all of them options. too. I mean, like a check is good if it's like under 20 grand. Now they don't really hold mine. Uh, you have to kind of work up to that if you don't have the transaction history, like Sean said. Yeah. The, um, and Stripe will hold really large ones too if you get Stripe, though, really big ones. So my Stripe doesn't. Unless I... So this is the fucked up thing. Studio Designer... <laughs> Yeah, created a new Stripe account for me. Did you? Did they do this for you? Now I have two no. Stripes. No. Did you use Stripe before? Yeah. yeah. I don't know why it did that. So now I have two versions. So my new Studio Designer Stripe account has no history. So it takes like ten days to Longer get any to of process. that. Um. So I don't use it anymore. I use my original Stripe account and send an invoice link. Through Stripe. Oh, I see what you're saying. And then I just back in the accounting. Because you're not waiting on payments to clear all the time every time you do it. So there's a little bit of jerry-rigging you got to do yeah. with this, unfortunately. But the other I, thing I, I wanted think to, it's multiple. And the other thing I wanted to say about ACH, because I just had last year like a pretty big client deposit that she wanted to do a, sorry, a wire transfer. And the nice thing about that for her was she was able to use like a money market account or something. That she wouldn't have had a checkbook mm-hmm. for. Right. She does she did a lot of like crazy financial high level, like But a lot of people have that. They yeah. have like oh, yeah. a portfolio account or they make like, more money um, than me, so they know what they're doing. If you have like high yield accounts through American Express, American Express will also let you wire funds from your American Express savings accounts into other accounts. So there's mul- there's like lots of options. And I think in general there's just this fear of what do I do? I, on my clients who are still in Ivy, I have them pay the transaction fee. I don't waive the fees. They can provide via ACH. They can do via credit card. They can also write me a check. Like, But if they have only one option, you can't pass on the fee. Got it. So they have ways to avoid paying fees. And some of my clients are like, I'll just write the check because that 1.2% whatever fee, they're like, I don't want to pay it. I'm like, okay, I don't care. I mean, like, for like do what you 50 want. grand, like, like it is something, but. Yeah. Um, okay. I think so, showing yeah, you have then, options is valuable. But like, also sometimes like pick. 
I also just kind of bake the transaction fee into my cost of doing business. And like, I'd rather just have the money if they're going to make a convenient decision to pay me. Oh, like yeah, design fees, and like PayPal fees. Pay yeah. And it, it's a write-off. The fees are a write-off. Sorry. It's like write-off. you guys are, you're going to have to, <laughs> that's the other thing is you have to get used to that idea that fees are part of doing business, that it's not all direct unless you're writing checks for everything, but that's going to be hard to find because a lot of clients have told me they're using points for this. They're cashing in points for stuff. Like as well as I'm not going to get friction. Like you want to create frictionless transactions for them. Like, especially if it's like hire me, like I want them to just make that decision and not have to get out their checkbook, transfer money, whatever they got to do. You know, that's a pain in the ass. Like just click and pay. Yeah. But do know you got to be a little careful because they can always cancel payments. Yeah, I like, I don't mind invoices so much being paid, like regular hourly or design fee invoices being paid through kind of whatever. But I do start to get anxious with product. With product, I'm like, send me a transfer, write me a check. Like, yeah, let's do that instead. So there we go on. Just get your money. Get paid. Okay, this one's. I'm from a kitchen design background where we always supplied cabinetry. As designers, how do you work with cabinet companies and who is responsible for final plan set? <sighs> California's tough, y'all. I don't know where this question was written from, but California makes it a little hard on us that you are, if we're selling the cabinetry, we are acting as the like cabinet contractor, which contractors are a regulated type of contractor cabinet vendors are in California. So there's this weird in between where if it's in excess of $500 in California that you could be seen as acting as a contractor because you're having cabinets installed and given to them. I think the difference that my CPA pointed out is that there are two things at at play here. One is the cabinets themselves as a product and the other is installation. So this, I'm not a CPA, but this is the recent thought was, if we are not including the actual work of installing them and putting them in, and that is paid for directly by the customer, that you may be able to separate the cabinets themselves as a product from the installation. And that would just depend on if like, my local custom cabinet makers, will they separate those two invoices? Mm. So I'm not in that contractor section. And if that were the case, they would still be providing like the shop plans for approval, but I'm giving them my design plan that pretty much has all the detail, but most of them want their own document. They don't want to be accused of making a mistake because it was my document. So right. they still create their own shop plans for approval or sign off. And it might need to be in their own system anyway. So they have to recreate it. Yeah. And then there's that. Like, exactly. Um, I don't want to fuck with cabinets at all. I want- <laughs> there's a lot of servicing. Well, even when just, I'm working with custom cabinets and they're doing all the work, I'm still doing a lot. Like, and I, even just like the detail of it. Like I just want to do the vision, a lot of the thinking, but I want to be working with somebody who can really like dial in all the details. Um, I've done it before with a company. She's a kitchen designer and she has sells a cabinet line. So I sold the cabinets to the client, but not the installation and right. then I had a warranty with the kitchen cabinet designer. If anything, she's happened. the seller. She's selling basically. it. To, she's a, the supplier to me. 
But this person, if you have a kitchen design background, like maybe it makes sense for you to become more of that kind of a vendor where you do have a cabinet line that you can sell. And then like Sean's saying, like work with a installer separately, which you would anyway. Yeah, because you're, yeah, you're still, you can't, and and again, they could be in a state where they're able to hire directly. I don't know. But and in that for most case, states, you need an installer. Yeah, in that case, the final plan set, I think it depends on, are they custom cabinets or are they like through a third-party cabinet, like national maker that has a system, like yeah. that designer I worked with, like she worked through this like bigger company. So they had like a system that she ordered them through and it split mm-hmm. out plan- pan- <sighs> plans. Plans. Yeah. And the average, I know there are designers who are making on average about 10% on all their cabinets. So if it it's, can definitely you make know, you some money, you can make a lot of money and I get it. Like if the, especially if you are working with a lot of custom where you're fully creating everything from scratch and it's not like a a readily produced line, I could see that coming to you very quickly because all those little add-ons that they make here and there really do make a lot of money. Like it's, it's a great profit center if you can make it work. I think it's like, what's your confidence level (laughs) and what do you really want to get involved in? Yeah. Yeah. Like if you, if you know that you're also going to have the money to pay for an expensive mistake, I think it's good if you're responsible for the plan sets and if you if you fuck up the measurements on a really huge pantry cabinet and the whole thing needs to get replaced out of your profit, great. You then you took it on, you had the plan sets, you were responsible. If you can absorb that cost in your business, good on you. I would say keep some of those 10% every time cuz you're going to need some of that money at some point. You will be the one to fix it if you take on the responsibility. But the nice part of having a cabinet vendor who's responsible for it is that they're going to eat that cost or they're going to harbor the responsibility. Yeah. So, how many uh, projects did or do you manage without employees? Do I or should I? <laughs> i have 12 projects all in various phases it's not great if you don't have some help to fill in the gaps it's really hard for me especially to keep up with admin all the admin and replies and meetings and red lines and contractor questions it's very hard if you don't have help yeah i've definitely been up to like 15 but Right now, I think I probably have eight and three of them are like hardcore in the same are pacing the same and they're kind of bigger and that isn't great. But Mm -hmm. um, probably half of them are dwindling, like just like tying up loose ends or finishing, like getting photos or whatever. Um, I had eight eight before I got help and I still felt overwhelmed. That just depends on the day for sure. You know, I, like yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think that there's a magic number. I just think that it depends on how big they are, how profitable they th- are, how big they are, and and how much how great the contractors are going to be involved. And I do think, like, I don't think they need to be employees. I think you can. I we've talked to designers who outsource all of their CAD work, and they have a CAD contractor who they kind of sketch out and give the basics, and then that person creates all their drawings, and then they outsource um the permit sets so that goes to like a draftsman or an architect and then they 
they have a renderer. Like I have an outsource, I have outsource help for all of that stuff. So they don't have to be employees, but that helps me a lot because I don't have to do all the work. I've had contractors do SketchUp models for me, you know? So depending on how busy you are, I, I just think that idea of, oh, well, it has to be an employee. I don't believe in that. I believe that you can support other freelancers and businesses who specialize in stuff and piece it out. It just means you're going to manage those pieces out of house, which, you know. There's pluses and minuses to both. Um, yeah. yeah. And didn't like Katie Monkhouse said she has like three, like her ideal is like three at a time, right? Or quarterly or something. Yeah, like three a quarter, I think. Which is kind of like mostly probably at a time. And she has a team, but they're mostly whole home, I think. So, um, yeah. Uh, yes. I, think I don't think it's a Eventually, number. everybody needs some type of help, whether it's just to offload some things or not. That's up to you. Like, But at some point, you're probably going to have to offload something. Otherwise, you lose your sanity. Like, Probably going to lose it anyway, but... Rebecca's already losing it. <laughs> <laughs> and what does your Sorry. life look like? I mean, like, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Do you have a podcast on the side for fun? Do you also have another? You have children. Do you have a, friend? a needy do you, spouse? You have spouses that want you to talk to them and pay attention to them. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Okay. We should do this one. This one was a hot question. We had like three that were yeah. basically all the same question. What's okay. like the gist of those three? Okay, so a few from students or side hustles wanting to leap into the industry full time. Tips, inspiration on how to do that. So, episode one, if you haven't started there, we both mm-hmm. go into our how our origin stories, <laughs> like where yeah, our <laughs> how we started Marvel Universe origin stories. <laughs> I don't know. I've done this a couple times now in different career paths where I did side hustle and then launched. Yeah. Unhealth. It's kind of unhealthy. I don't know. So I don't know if there's a way to do it with like self-care activated and you have close Mm -hmm. friends and families that you see a lot (laughs) because I worked a shit ton. I worked myself to overwhelm. For like, sure. so I, I wish like, and that's the hard part. I have to, like, we've acknowledged this in previous episodes. I had a very supportive spouse. I had a runway. I had savings. I had left another career that was paying well for the work I was doing. Like I was, I was being fairly compensated. If you are trying to jump from like being a full-time student and working us a, a part-time job or it's in retail or something, I, that, money leap is very hard if you didn't have something to start from. And I think that's, there is a little bit of that like starving artist at the beginning, if you have to make like a hard switch like that. So when I started my first company as a, it was a creative graphic design company, I had a nine to five job and I did not Mm. have a spouse. I did not have savings. (laughs) There was zero runway. It was just hope this parachute works. What I did do, though, was line up some sort of contractor gig so that like what I did in that case is I converted my full-time job into a part-time contracting position. So I knew I'd have like two or three days. And it was also like I talked them into like, how about this? You pay me basically the same, but I'm only going to work 
half or less the time. But yeah. I don't just disappear. <laughs> you still get me. So, and I like wean yeah. them off of, we. I mean, we wean each other off of each other basically, but that worked really well. So sometimes I it's just getting creative. There's a leap like, of faith. Can you get at least one job that you know that's going to like give you a month of runway? And then during that time, yeah. you got to like hustle on that job, but you got to be hustling on new jobs too. And you got to yeah. believe in yourself, honestly. Like, I know it sounds so, it sounds so, so shallow to say it that way, but I just am like, unfortunately, there is a rip off the band aid phase, and you just, there's never, it's like when the people say there's never a perfect time to have a baby. There's never a perfect time to start a business. It's, it's only no. when you're going to do it. It's, it's just when are you going to start to do it? I wish there was a better answer. I wish I had like, if you follow these eight steps, it will definitely work. It's Should not, you have a savings? Like yes. Do yeah, you? Like, Maybe not. Do you? Maybe yeah. not. Yeah. Would it be great if you had a spouse or someone or parents with benefits, health benefits? That'd be great. That's like a super <laughs> privileged position though. And like probably exactly. not realistic for everybody. So um, I think it's believing in yourself and like something I just asked myself all the time what's literally what's the worst that can happen and think through that scenario is it yeah can you move in with your parents if you needed to is that i would have totally done that i would have had i would have totally done that my if if i hadn't been already with my now husband he was my boyfriend at the time yeah i would have moved back in with my dad if i had to in order to do this and i think sometimes a little bit of like yeah what kind of ego hit are you willing to take in order to achieve your dreams and some people think I would never do that. I would never work a part-time job at nights at Target so I could do design during the day. It's like, okay, well then that's that's the thing you won't do. Like for me, y'all, I I literally said this, like if business slowed down enough, you could catch me driving Uber if I had to. I'm not going to give up on my design business. I'm going to find a way to make it happen. And sometimes that's the push that you need to make it appear and to like will it into existence. I wish I had something more concrete, but I don't. But honestly, you have to kind of be willing to do that because that's like the chutzpah that's required. How much do you want your dream? Yeah. How much is it worth to you? Yeah. It's not that easy. I wish I had better. But also get the internship. Like I worked, I've said this before. I was 41 or 42 years old and got a unpaid internship with people that were younger than me as my mentors and bosses. I learned a ton. 32. Yeah. I learned a ton and it was $15 an hour, which was great. Six years ago. Like, but it was my key into the industry. Like there were so many things I learned that I wouldn't have, like, it was just the way to like peek and be inside the curtain. So if you're willing to do what you're, whatever it takes, then you'll, you'll make it. Yeah. You got to do it. And so to add to that is the next question we had, which is what to do about a starting point for contracts or agreements. I do not recommend hacking together a bunch of stuff from things you found on the internet. I f- Please make sure you get something that's been reviewed and approved with, with an attorney. The American Society of Interior Designers, ASID, has contracts. And I've, I know of many large prominent designers who just take that contract and then update a few things in it with the help of an attorney start there. Um, Even the fact that you have I, a contract is going to make clients take you more seriously. Oh yes. You um, have to have one. You, you And please don't make it up as you, please don't make it up. 
please. You're just going to, you're going to regret it so much. And the cost of one, the cost of one contract is going to pay for itself. Do you know what I mean? Like the, it pays for itself with what you get done. So we do have some past episodes. If you go back and listen to episode 12 with um, Ashley Hightower of contracts for creatives, Um, we'll link in the show notes. I don't remember the episode right now, but we had Braden Drake on. It's episode 35. Oh, there we go. Yeah. So that was a really great one where we talk about contracts. And I know that Braden also has like a contract vault. I mean, yeah, they're like, there's options for you if you need them. Um, start with something. Don't just please don't try to like, please don't. I I was going to make a crude remark, but please don't do this without like on your own. Like, don't bootstrap this, please. Like, that's all I'm trying to say. You're gonna you're gonna regret it. Someone's gonna sue I know you. What you're gonna say? Oh, okay, fine. Unedited and unfiltered. I was gonna say, please don't raw dog your contracts. <laughs> like, please don't, <laughs> because it's just gonna be terrible. And I know everyone's like, how hard could it be? I will. Well, first of all, I think seen... we all know that it's not easy to become an attorney, and re- like, no one. Yeah, so why would you no think you could write that. your own contract? Please don't do it. <laughs> okay. Please don't. Okay. So I think, are we going to move into? Yeah, we're going to cut it here and move some extra questions here over to our Patreon. There's some questions that we got asked about insurance, how to work with builders. Um, some of our worst red flags or worst ever situations, and then some more questions about flat fees that we we want to get a little more nitty gritty. So we're going to move those over to um, our exclusive Patreon episodes that are in our loyal hottie tier. Yeah, because people are asking like insurance policies and what they should cost. Like we're going to give the name of the companies that we use and what we pay. So little sneaky things and if you've been listening for a while especially last year when i was like (laughs) going through my downward spiral with a really terrible client i'm going to tell a little bit more of that story worst client ever (laughs) Ever. so we hope you find us over on loyal hotties yes and you know until next time stay hot designers Thanks for listening to the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. For more on what we talked about today, check out the show notes. Your support helps us grow, so share with your design besties. And subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Our conversations continue on Instagram. And be sure to download our monthly resources on our website and our Patreon. 